0: It
2: was like a radio station.
1: Now, here are your hosts. Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure ample, yet. Yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk, man. I back it up. And we are chock full of that, man. I'm right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. And that's the bottom line. Cause Stone Cold sets so. up. If you're gonna blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns twenty four seven. I am Jeff Howell. Let's not waste any time and get right into it. The college football season is over. We move on to twenty twenty two, and for the Texas Longhorns, hopefully better days are ahead than a five and seven season in Steve Sarkeesian's debut. Uh, first off, before I move on, however you're listening, wherever you're listening, we just thank you so much for being a part of this week's presentation. Anywhere you get your podcasts, just search Horns twenty four seven. Click that follow button. You get every episode of the flagship State of Recruiting and Longhorn Blitz. You can also hear Longhorn Blitz Tuesday nights after Longhorn basketball. Right now, at least with the Tuesday basketball schedule uh, on the Horn, uh, you can also get myself and Craig Wait each and every week down at the tower from ten to noon. You can get Rod Babers each and every weekday uh, with he and Kevin Dunn on RBKD from three to seven. Uh, HornFM.com. If you need it, get over to Horns twenty four seven for all the latest and greatest uh, in Longhorn recruiting and team coverage. All right, with that out of the way. Let me bring in the rest of the team for real this time. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru, and the reason why I was Googling why O.J. Mayo got a lifetime ban from the (laughs) NBA before the start of the show. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? Not too bad. My brother and I were remembering we went to a Spurs-Bucks game. This was second year Giannis, and... Uh, in addition to me heckling O.J. Mayo the whole time, being a Mavericks <laughs> fan, um, like what a weird roster that Bucks roster was. It was like second-year Giannis and Greg Monroe and Jared Bayless and the last of O.J. Mayo and Jabari Parker. I think in between catastrophic knee injuries, just a, a weird, a weird to think about the uh, the path championship teams take towards building them. Jason Kidd was uh, Jason about Kidd to be was, uh, knocking water on being a Mavericks to get around fan, the rules. It all comes full circle. Uh, speaking of things that come full circle, I don't know where I was going with that segue, but I'm sure there's something in the life of the third member of our team that has come full circle because he's a renaissance man. He's just that damn good at everything he does. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semi-finalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas in the 40 Acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he's a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Thanks for the intro, bro. Appreciate it. Rod, I was asked to, uh, by a couple loyal listeners, and by the way, feedback on last week's edition of Longhorn Blitz, uh, the Brennan Marion episode, we'll call it, that's some people saying that was the best episode of the Blitz ever. So Wow. There's probably oh, no way compliment. we can follow that up with a good show this week. Probably doomed us to fail, but appreciate the feedback nonetheless. Yeah, but based on the feedback from that show, Rod, I was told to ask you, where are you at in the process of the new T ring?
2: Uh, <laughs> 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 um, yeah, that was like a okay. So I'll say that was a bit of a like a hold up because originally I was supposed to go through a certain person, I'm not going to put people on blast to to get the T-ring, and it was like, oh, it's easy, just call that person, it'll be easy. Um, That person uh, is no longer there so i got another person that i i can call but they got promoted to another position so i don't even know if they're in charge so i don't know who's in charge of the t-rings <laughs> okay. that's kind of a thing like it's basically been so long since i've addressed it that i don't know who's in charge of the t-rings anymore at one point i thought i ordered one and then uh, apparently that did not happen because i did not speak to the proper people about it so
1: you know what yeah, we're recording this on a tuesday so tonight it's Texas OU at the Irwin Center? Mm-hmm. If I see CDC at the Irwin Center tonight, I'll ask him. <laughs> Don't ask that CDC. That might be him. above his. I, I, just, I, just ask him, I was asking what's the protocol somebody, if, if I, there's a letterman who needs a T-ring replacement. Who do they need to go to?
2: You could ask him that, but if I, I hate when people ask CDC stupid stuff via <laughs> Twitter, and they always ask some stupid stuff. <laughs> and he face.
1: answers so many yeah, he things.
2: Does. And the man is busy. The man ain't got time for you know little. It, I'll little bother him in random media timeout when it,
1: he's just sitting there looking at his phone. It's
2: yeah, like responding to dumb things on Twitter. That, that is true. Asking, he's probably so. responding to dumb things, dumber things.
0: Actually, <laughs> tweet him, the question.
2: Uh, <laughs> news, tweet him the question. Uh That's true. Goodness. it, right no, down no, to no, it. No. it'll get done. I mean, I know enough people behind the scenes. I just don't want to go through official protocols. That's basically kind of my. What I don't want to do, so we'll figure it out.
1: Uh, then well, you got to change the intro, so I don't even know if we can do no, it. No, I told somebody it doesn't matter when rock gets it; the, the bit will continue. Or <laughs> the when it ever, bit whenever, whenever die, well, I'll cross that I'll cross that bridge, cross that bridge <laughs> when we get there. Um, so, no, college football season's over. National championship game Monday night. Georgia takes care of Alabama, and you guys know me what I value in terms mm-hmm. of football, what I like watching. That Super Bowl, that Patriots-Rams Super Bowl that everybody's like, oh, it was boring. I'm like, no, it was awesome. Great football. That was grown man line of scrimmage football going on in Indianapolis Monday night. And I loved every minute of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Rod, is there any Texas-related angle you want to take other than what I think Longhorn fans are commiserating on this morning, which is, oh gosh, can you imagine how mad Alabama's going to be when they roll into DKR (laughs) in September on their revenge tour? And I'm like, dude, it's Nick Saban in a big game. Like, it doesn't matter if They've won a national championship by forty or lost the championship game by forty. It's Nick Saban in a true road game, which Alabama doesn't do ever. Played twenty eleven conference games. Mm. Yeah, they've only done it twice in Nick Saban's tenure. I haven't done it since they went to Penn State. Ten. Oh, it'll be eleven years. Um, I, I'm not really concerned about that. That that is what it is. I guess people want to focus on that. They can. But any Texas related angle or just any angle from the championship game. No, I think Grab the it. well,
2: yeah, obviously Longhorn fans uh, viewing everything through burnt orange glasses. Oh man, when Bama comes here, they're gonna be mad. I'm with you. <laughs> I, I don't think Bama's I, always I don't think mad. Registering necessarily Texas on uh, on on Nick Saban's radar as man, Texas and the big game next year. It's like no, no. That's what Alabama does. All right. they No matter who they got to play, Alabama takes care of business.
1: So. You are a nameless, faceless opponent.
2: <laughs> right? to they are. Yeah, exactly. And they are a heartless football machine.
1: It's mm-hmm. probably
2: going to come in here and stomp a mud hole in Texas, but that's a different story. What I, I think, is something Longhorn fans can take from it is, you you talked about how it was a line of scrimmage game. Uh, You know, both of those teams have elite lines of scrimmage. Actually, I don't know if Bama's offensive line is considered elite, honestly. Bama's offensive line's got issues, but they got elite personnel on that offensive Mm -hmm. line. They got got a first-round pick on that offensive line, Um, and they got NFL players on the offensive line. So I think you look at the rebuilding of the Texas defense, which starts in the latest recruiting class with eight, nine different either Defensive linemen or edge defenders. Uh, you look at the offensive linemen in the, in the most uh, recent recruiting class, and Sark has already told you, "I want to be big and athletic inside, and I want to be fast and athletic on the outside." Uh, that's basically the football team that he wants to build. That's what Alabama is. That's kind of what you saw with with Georgia. Right? Georgia's got speed on the outside, girth. And power on the inside. So does Bama. Bama lost that when they lost John Mechie and also lost Jamison Williams. They lost both of those guys. And then, of course, you know, you lost your speed on the outside. Uh, and I was really shocked that the wide receivers they had behind those guys weren't more impressive. I thought mm-hmm. Alabama had been stockpiling some wide receivers. I guess
1: not. Uh, I mean, maybe it's they just have, it's just inexperienced guys that haven't played a ton of snaps. Know, suddenly, man. suddenly in the championship game, you yeah, got to step. They didn't up look
2: and... like they had been ref- very refined, though. I'm not gonna lie. I mean, I know it's Bama, but they looked raw. Yeah, I mean, it's like the end, it's like the end of the season. Like those those young wide receivers looked pretty raw to me. Um, so I know I know Alabama's been in in you know slugfest, so they haven't had a chance to probably get those young guys in. But that, that's why they lost the game. Those young corners on the outside they had to put in because they had their starters got hurt, and those young wide receivers that had to go in there, and they just were not ready. Now, who the hell would be ready against Georgia, big stage? I don't know, but they just – I was shocked at how much you could exploit those corners, those young corners, and I was shocked at how – Inexperienced and unrefined The wide receivers looked Yeah it was a marked drop off Like you could tell
0: And we've talked about You know the way that Alabama and Sarkeesian Does the same thing And funnels usage Through his main players But it also gives you That situation where They're going to be Unexperienced now In the previous years, whenever it was the next group of guys like the Jalen Waddles or even when you saw Mechie or saw guys like Jamison Williams last year on Alabama, when they'd come in, wouldn't be as much of a drop-off. This group, it was a massive drop-off. And, I mean, Bryce Young had a few throws that were just, I mean, he had pressure in his face all day long putting the ball on the button. A couple times downfield and could have been huge plays that changed the entire game that were just multiple Drops. drops. Yep. Yeah, and I mean you have those big time recruits that in those situations you would hope would come through, but that was really the differentiating point really in the ball game because Alabama can probably win if you just catch two of those passes. Yeah, that was a
2: separation. To yeah, me. And, and when Jameson and Williams went down, that was a separation. Mm-hmm. They couldn't could make up that that gap.
0: No, yeah, I mean he was the difference in the first game against Georgia. He had seven for one eighty four and two touchdowns. You look yeah. across the board, four, he was on his way. Yeah, oh what, yeah, like three or four five for, for like sixty, 60. Yeah. six. Yeah. six. He a, I know, he I had him in way. every. <laughs> single one of my lineups. And when he made that yeah. cut, I thought he was cutting back for a touchdown. Because that dude, honestly, watching him play, I and I'm not trying to exaggerate, but like I see him and he reminds me of like a more refined version of Amari Cooper at the time. Like it was crazy mm-hmm. watching because it was like there Julio had the body that was huge for a freshman but like yeah. when cooper came in he was such a polished wide receiver and when you see jameson williams and just in the open he's like all the parts that you want to put together on a wide receiver and for him to go down that was just a bummer and it's crazy because yeah. mechie blew out his leg against georgia too like they both yeah, blew out their legs against georgia and then i can't remember exactly who waddle got injured against last year but they've had some big heavy important. trauma uh injuries yeah. to their high usage players and It's what happens, I guess, sometimes whenever you use them for so many plays, but you can't criticize the coach for using his guys, and that's what you got to do, and you're almost able to knock it off and get the big dub. And Sark believes in it. Well, no, I mean, and it's exact, as well. and Saban it's knows all about, you know, yeah. big injuries in championship games can change it, and I mean, if we're taking it back to Texas, oh. and what it reminded me of, and watching that game in the first half, when I saw Saban's guy goes down, I mean, I had flashes first of, well, Saban has won a championship, he won his first one when the opposing team's best player went down in Colt McCoy, now in the first half of this game, his best player goes down against Georgia, and then I started to watch and see a poor man's version of Colt mccoy eventually become the winner of the ball game because stetson bennett's the walk-on smaller less athletic but smart enough to have the functional mobility to just barely make the he just pre-snap diagnosis makes the right play don't screw it up and let the rest of the football team win and that's the stetson bennett little way it worked out for him and was able to knock off saban so it always verified in my mind that well stetson bennett beat that saving team. If Colt would have had his shot, Colt would have beaten that team. But that's just the burn orange prism that I view life through. There,
1: there's a there's two Texas angles, two specific Texas angles coming out of the championship game. Rod, it's something you said. Talk about the line of scrimmage. Uh, if you're a Texas fan, I don't think you needed to watch Alabama and Georgia along the line of scrimmage to get an idea of how much further Texas has to go to get to that level. Yeah, Just go back and pop the tape in from the Arkansas game. Mm-hmm because now you know the, the 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 final AP AP top 25 came out and Arkansas finishes in the top 25 mm-hmm. they were a 9 win team in the SEC but you go look at some of their games see they got boat raced by Alabama they got boat raced by I think got boat raced by Georgia this year Yeah, they played both of those teams um two of their four losses were to Alabama and Georgia so you kind of see even in that league where the there's a separation between the good teams and the elite teams. Oh, yeah, no doubt. In the SEC. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we we're kind of Ole Miss and AM I mean, and Arkansas. Right it's like, like
2: right at the Auburn level right now. Wherever Where's mm-hmm. Auburn right now? They Are they an eight-win team?
1: They were six and seven this six year. Six and seven. They okay. were they but, nine, I mean, a and Ole Miss, yeah, 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 Arkansas, yeah. Uh, Kentucky, yeah. they're all kind of right there. But then the elite in Georgia and, and Alabama, obviously the elite team's the elite. Just go back I mean, and honestly, watch. LSU every three years, two,
2: three years. <laughs> no, they do. LSU's LSU. to wild. Back and every, yeah, yeah. It's just they have the talent level of those teams
0: too. They just yeah. any they given the the day, that's a team you don't want to face on day when they're in a down year because they can beat anybody still. Exactly.
1: Um LSU's kind of like Kentucky basketball. You look at the roster. And you're like how are, how are you guys not better as yep. much talent as you have? Yeah, and they're going. They're LSU's going to end up having a couple really high draft. Top Texas basketball has been all for a
0: decade. Yeah.
1: Uh, That's a good comparison, Matt. But you know, at least Kentucky's won national championships, and LSU won one. Texas still hasn't won one on a hardwood yet. Um, But we shall see. Just the delta between Texas and Arkansas in terms of line of scrimmage talent and a line of scrimmage ability on both sides. Yeah, because the Texas defensive line got pushed around by that Arkansas offensive line. Yeah, Uh, and and that just shows you where you've got to go to be competitive in that league. We're not talking about winning the league. I'm just being competitive in the SEC. Looking at the, the the long game Sark is playing trying to build this thing. Yeah, you can beat Bama and have it be a quote unquote down year. Look at A mm. and M. And yeah. the, the second part of that is
2: they've been stockpiling line of scrimmage talent too. Yeah. They have.
1: I mean the well, Marvin Leal That's how they well,
0: get yeah. in that second group the <laughs>
2: They've been stockpiling that old Mr
1: The Marvin is gonna be a first round pick mm-hmm. and they they played some really young talented offensive linemen this year. I mean we 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 talk about Texas like oh you don't want to play true freshman offensive linemen. I mean you look at like Ruben Fathery, Bryce Foster, they, them, those guys got much better throughout the year, and now they're going to go into 22. mean, like, hey, these guys have a, have a have an SEC season under their belt as going into their true sophomore year. Sky's the limit, nowhere to go but up. Yeah. So that's just something to keep in mind. I don't like playing true freshman offensive linemen, but if they're if Kelvin Banks and, and if Texas ends option. up getting Devon Campbell uh, or Nato Mazzulu, if these guys ended up being the best you've got. Go with it. Go with it and let them grow. Um, so I think I don't think you need. I think it just reinforced what Texas needs to do on the line of scrimmage. And Rod, I'll tell you, what, I think the thing that impressed me most. We talk about perimeter speed, and the game changed for Georgia in the second half when Todd Monken finally decided to start giving James Cook the damn ball, yeah, that was which I was hollering about the whole first half. I should have been opening script, dude. and then he dude. breaks a sixty-something yard run in the second half, and oh my gosh, Georgia's playbook is suddenly open. Yeah, they can move the ball all of a sudden. Uh, so th- there was that. But we talk about perimeter speed. Man, you look at front seven speed and athleticism for both of those teams. Will Anderson coming to Texas next year. That, to me, Dallas mm-hmm. Turner's another guy that okay. looks, this has a bright future. You look at Georgia, Georgia's speed with N'Kobe Dean and those cats they have. That, to me, Rod, is where we talk about just line of scrimmage talent and you talk about the big bodies. That, to me, is where Texas has to grow miles to get to where they want to be is you need – speed, athleticism, and playmaking ability, specifically in your front seven defensively. And we didn't see a ton of that from Texas last year. Yeah,
2: I mean, you just need guys that can win individual one-on-ones and you don't have enough of those on the front. That's why you don't have great pass rushes, right? That's why your pass rush was historically bad this year it's because you don't have guys on the front that can win one-on-ones. Bama and Georgia have... I mean, out of their front seven, they probably got five guys that can that can dominate one-on-one matchups mm-hmm. on any given down, and that's kind of key, right? You want to build your defense these days with with corners and DBs that can win one-on-one matchups. That means you can play man-to-man and win one-on-ones on the opposite side. Your wide receivers got to win one-on-ones, and then in the trenches, you want defensive linemen and and defensive uh edge rushers that can just win their one-on-one battles because all you're trying to do as a defensive coordinator now much like the offensive minds have been trying to do for years now the defensive minds have kind of flipped the script and said all right you know what i'm gonna try to get my will anderson On your weakest, your weakest blocker on the offensive Mm -hmm. line, whoever that is, and I can do it with a twist and a stunt. I can Mm -hmm. do it with games up front. Uh, Look what they do with Michael Parsons, right? Dan Quinn, he'll bring Michael Parsons down on the edge, bump Randy Gregory or DeMarcus Lawrence inside, and you go, holy Chicago! (laughs) Now a guard's got to go block DeMarcus Lawrence. Damn, that ain't good. And then the and then the tackle's like, well, this dude's fast as hell. Like I can't block him. You got to mismatch either way. And they still may throw a twist and a stunt on him right there. All right, so they're just trying to everybody's trying to find a way to. To, to specifically isolate matchups that are advantageous to them. Um, and I think that's what Texas doesn't have. And one of the things, just kind of basic stuff, hopefully, you know, we talk about the Gary Patterson thing, and if Gary Patterson's going to come in as he's special assistant to the head coach or whatever it is, you do need somebody to come in. I don't know why it didn't translate. To kind of teach basic football fundamentals and logic to the players. And, and obviously, Sark refers to it as football IQ. But the ability – a lot of these – you go watch. I'm watching film right now. I'm doing the exhaustive breakdown of the season, so I'm watching more film, um, trying to get some more data points. And, man – our inability to get off blocks is just mind blowing. It's man. terrible. I mean, you, and then you watch Georgia and Bama get off like they never stay blocked. Right, <laughs> like, nobody like their eyes are always in the second <laughs> level. They're, yeah, they're constantly getting off blocks to go make plays. And it's something in the in the Texas defenders' mind. Sometimes they would believe they did their job by getting blocked. Nah. And it's like no 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 filling the hole you made, and- yeah yeah right. yeah yeah that's your gap all right yeah you gotta set the <laughs> but edge but then you're supposed but to but then there. you get off that damn block and go make a play right you once you set the edge once you, you you your responsibility is filled then you have to go make a play on the football it was amazing how oftentimes you just see players they were just almost satisfied with getting blocked mm-hmm. and they got blocked into a gap so I guess like I guess in their minds like no I did my job I'm like, filling. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. You got to get I off the block go make a this. play. That's why you never see the D-line penetrate. Yeah. Oftentimes, they would almost, and Bucky referred to them as the dancing bears, where they would just <laughs> kind of go parallel to the line of scrimmage when I don't know maybe this is a technique they're teaching. was like, no, no, I need you to penetrate and disrupt and, and get in, obviously get into the backfield. Yeah. That's what I need you to do. Even if you don't necessarily hit, fill your gap, if you're in the backfield, I'm fine with you missing your gap because you just ruptured the play.
0: Yeah, you just—it's t- almost as, as if they're consumed with the idea of just their man and then the block, and they yeah, that not that second thought that you always have to be finding the ball and working to that thing behind yeah. whatever your gap is. Yeah, it's fascinating. I,
1: what I love about this, I, and this is why I love zone runs, and as much wide zone as everybody's running at, Yeah, this is why Texas was terrible defending wide zone runs. This goes back to and again, my playing experience on the field goes back to high school, but I even remember at that point, because everybody gets, okay, this is a B-gap run. I'm like, no, it's a zone run. If my guy is playing a certain technique, if I mash him across the hole, that's the beauty of a zone run. As a back, you if you can feel it, it doesn't matter. It, yeah, if it, you might start towards a B-gap and be yeah. like, oh, I can cut it back and hit the cutback lane, and yeah. now instead of just burying my head and getting four yards. Now I've got twelve. That's
2: a great point. Because
1: my guard mashed his guy across the hole, or mm-hmm. that tackle, he can be just turning and turning, and turning, and thinking, "Okay, dude, I'll just push you upfield, And now the guy, my back come, cuts off, cuts off my butt. Yeah, and now he's up the field for. 10, 12 yards on a first down, and here we go. Yeah, that's the beauty of a zone run. Yeah. If you, the, the best it, way to disrupt zone runs, Rod, to your point, is you have to get penetration. Got to get penetration. And
2: to your point, though, when you when you don't penetrate, right, and then you get caught up on a block, the offensive lineman. He's done his job, but he's thinking about the second level now. Mm-hmm. Once he's got you blocked, he's already got you blocked. He's thinking about the second level on his own run. And that's what also hurt Texas, too. If you're gonna, you are going you got to eliminate that blocker if you're a defensive lineman. You can't, if you're gonna, if you're gonna have him be able to block you in that play and, and you're not be able to penetrate or disrupt, then you have to eliminate that block. You can definitely can't allow him to get to the second level. He needs to be a also, one for
0: one, not don't let him get two.
2: Yeah, exactly. That's a, exactly a, a, what happened in Texas. You'd allow one yeah. blocker to block. Two guys because
0: it's a math problem and it comes Down yep. to numbers game and you're talking about It in the run game and the reason why you first Off would say one a quarterback to be the Guys do you add a number but then if you're getting One blocker to block two that's a way That you can also get the numbers on your Side and it's why when we talk about these uh, Running backs that you view And you're like oh, I don't know what it is he just seems Patient it's like well that's what he's doing mm-hmm. He's, he's watching these different yeah. Things unfold the dominoes in front And understanding and being able to Freestyle and make that decision just Stuff of instincts and then execution in front. And if you can have an offensive lineman that's consuming two of those guys, it changes that numbers game so much more. And it Texas'
2: weakest uh, point, or at least weak, weakest point as a defense in terms of defending run was the edges. They couldn't defend mm-hmm. the edges. They just could not do it all season long. They really couldn't figure it out. They tried different things. They really could not never stop teams from attacking the edge, whether it be the outside zone and the wide zone, um, whether it be the counter they tried to hit the edge with. It was Back, even the quarterback design run.
1: That's why I hate, I always hated the this mindset of the Mike Shanahan running back. That, oh, they could plug any back into that system and he'll get a 1,000 yards. Mm. Well, yeah, they had, you know, Terrell Davis goes for 2,000. Mike mm-hmm. Anderson, Alanis oh, yeah. Gary, they had that run. Hey, Clinton Portis had some good years with the Broncos. Selvin Young led, led the sure. led AFC rookies in rushing one year in that offense. It's finding a certain back, though. Mike Shanahan was really good. And, Rod, I I know you talked to Shannon about this stuff. This guy Elijah Mitchell. Mike Shanahan (laughs) was so (laughs) good at identifying traits in a running back. To be a really good zone running back, I've got to have a guy really that has – he has to have a lot of stuff, but it really boils down to two things. Does he have, number one, patience and vision? Patience Mm -hmm. slash vision. It's both the same, to let that zone run set up. And then is he athletic enough when he sees the lane, whether it's a cutback lane, whether it's a frontside lane – to stick a foot in the ground, get vertical, and get yards. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and not all back, not all backs can do that. Yeah. Not all backs are great zone runners.
2: No. Yeah. That's why they traded Clinton Portis. Yeah. Famously, Clinton Portis was like one of the best running backs out there. And It's like, nah, we can too much high cap. Like, yeah. Like no. Well, and they, they didn't like his running style as yeah. much. He wasn't the slasher that they needed him to be. And they they ended up trading him because they also knew that running scheme If they could find a lower value back. That mm-hmm. in their system would be able to flourish. Ain't
1: trading for a Hall of Fame corner. It's that's also true. It's, not, it's yeah. not a
2: bad deal. No, it's not a bad deal. Though.
1: Um, but no, that to your point to to kind of wrap up the how bad Texas was defending the edges and basically defending wide zone runs. Rod, to your point about it as an offensive lineman, like you know in your head usually, okay, I know I've got X amount of seconds before I can get off this block and go to the second level. Not just because that's what the rule states, and if you got some intuition, you know what's going on, you could do that. But as a defensive tackle unless he's Aaron Donald and can just stick a foot in the ground and hustle back and make a play, yep, right. I'm going to go block the nearest threat, which mm-hmm. is going to be probably a play side linebacker or safety or whatever. Exactly. Coming to safety, coming down to Philly alley or whatever. Yeah. If he, In other words, if that defensive tackle, if he's two yards behind the ball and ends up making a the tackle, then – Good for him. He made a hell of a
2: play. I was that. that, I mean, you saw Will Anderson in that game, and you saw the the freakish plays that he'd make, and you saw Mm -hmm. guys like, I mean, Nicobe Dean's in that conversation. As good as
1: Will Anderson was, dude, Dallas Turner was. Freaking, like beast for Alabama. You
2: saw some of those guys that can make some of those plays. Like no, 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 no. yeah, he got, yeah, he did actually get blocked, and it didn't matter because <laughs> either he blew up the block or he could get blocked and get blocked out of the play, end up on the back side of the play, and still somehow athletically mm-hmm. end up on the front side, either making the tackle or contributing to the tackle. How many
1: plays Derek Johnson making his career? That's what I'm saying like that's that.
2: that's yeah. there, there's there are a lot of guys who are just freaks like that. So but Texas didn't have any freaks like that. You know, Joseph's size kind of a freak like that. Texas didn't have any of those. Those guys, they needed force multipliers. Turns out they didn't have one on defense. I love Demario on Overshown. He's not there yet. That's yeah. why he's coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, yeah, they just they didn't have any of those guys. And when you don't have any guys that can win one on ones, that's when you have PK, who honestly, I you know, he just didn't, he couldn't find any way to effectively protect all of the different exploitable levels of that defense. Corners could be exploited with the deep ball. Your front could be exploited because they can't sit at the edge. Your linebackers really couldn't cover. Like, you just mm-hmm. – he, he couldn't protect everything. You can't protect Good everything. Problems. And he didn't do a great yeah. job either. I'm not trying to make excuses right. for PK. He did a terrible job. But ultimately, he had nothing to work with. You need a strength. You need something to go, all right, you know what? No, our, corner, our corners can cover. Yeah. I ain't worried about it. My corner's going to hold up. A pivot right. point for Assume, your defense. Yeah. And then you can build a defense game plan assuming this will always hold up. Oh, And <laughs> I think he thought it was his D-line. We all did. Turns out we were wrong. Yeah, we were wrong. Everybody was wrong about that. I'll take the L. I'll, I was wrong. I mean, I, I thought that was going
1: to be a strength. We all did. That If you look at the difference in the defense from year one to year two, I mean, right, if you look at production, like per snap production, the 2020 Texas defense was not a great defense. It was a good defense. It was not a great defense. What was the difference? Chris Ash had one of those guys that he knows. Okay, as long as Joseph O'Sai is on the field, I, I know. I know I've got a matchup problem. You, mm-hmm. yeah, you got O'Sai there.
2: Yeah, got NFL talent though. I mean, yeah. you got Caden Stearns. Say what you want about Caden Stearns' trajectory of yeah. development, but a NFL ground. player. And by the way, guy in the NFL right now. Caden Stearns is a good player. Oh, yeah. Playing for the Broncos. I mean, he's going to be starting in a couple of years for them.
0: And uh, when you watch a guy like Osai, like, that's the—he looks like a Bama guy. Like, that's the type of guy that you yeah. see on—and just Texas has had very few of those in between each year.
2: Yeah. So I just think you had—and and I would say, oh, man, just two guys would make that difference. I mean, honestly, having central nervous system of a defense. <laughs> yeah. We talk about like well, just what? Just having a guy that can create a pass rush and affect the quarterback. Hell, Joseph Osai won you a game or two, like on his own. Yeah. <laughs> when he was here, you just had guys that could make plays and guy certain players you could depend on in certain situations, and you didn't really have that at all. I think even the games they
1: lost, guys. Think about plays he made. The flip games. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like the he had a, a sack and a forced fumble in the TCU game. Got the offense on a short oh, field. Yeah. We go back to the Oklahoma game. Remember when he ran down ran TJ to, Pledger had... and popped the ball out? Yeah. Mm-hmm. At the end of a forty yard run. Oh no, it's not a forty yard run, The first down. Texas has the ball. Because Joseph O'Side just made a hell of a freakish play. He yeah. can
0: one person can overrule yeah. everything by yeah. making a play and then also like the sort of the unseen things that a good guy, guy like Stearns, when you're safety and you're having to communicate between the levels of the defense and just having that security that, you know, part of that central nervous system oh, yeah. has stability. What, But, like, you don't necessarily see that impact the way you can see it. Oh, size impact, but it can be a huge impact on a defense. Yeah, you had Taquan Graham who ended up getting
2: drafted. Uh, hell, Chris Brown may have been the best damn player in that <laughs> back. In that back seven, and we don't know what the hell happened yeah. to Chris Brown. He's just Very somewhere true. working In in the corporate world, still got an
1: APB out on Chris Brown. (laughs)
2: But my point is, you didn't have play. You didn't have a player that as good as Chris Brown was in twenty twenty on this defense this year. Not even close. So you just had better players that made more plays for you in the clutch. Texas didn't have that this year. Just didn't. I can't think of a player that consistently made plays in the clutch on the
1: defense. Other than Roddy, you can break this down because corner from twenty twenty to twenty twenty one might be a push or a slight Mm. edge to twenty one because Josh Thompson got better. Josh Thompson, Josh Thompson was better in twenty one than he was in twenty. Yes. Every other it. position on the field, you were significantly worse than you were in twenty twenty in terms of pro- basically just in terms of production and impact. Yeah. Like you, you didn't have yeah. an impact play. Because you
2: lost your leading tackler and Juwan Mitchell,
1: too. I yeah. Forgot yeah about Mitchell that. and over
0: if anything was closest would be linebackers, but both years it was the weakness sort of.
1: Yeah. But even even go back to twenty, like we talked about it, like how much better, and granted it's not like you were facing, you know, an early 2010s run of Big 12 offenses,
0: but your linebackers got
1: better throughout the year. They did get better.
0: Yeah, Overshown did. Overshown. That, that's a good point. If you could find that first quarter overshone against OU, like that first quarter, he was flashing, making I plays. But like whenever a guy like him, because you could tell, you could see he's learning on the job, and that's sort of what Jeff was talking about at the time in 2020 uh, 20 when he switched to that position, yep. and you saw the upside. It's just that since then, you yeah, had not seen much growth upon it because like, m- probably a multitude of reasons, but that's where fans had the hope. It was like, oh, well, plugged him in. He looks like he can fit there and work, but we just haven't seen it accelerate since then. I still think
2: then. he's a he's an NFL player, but he hasn't had an offseason, a true offseason to really work linebacker. Mm-hmm. I think that stunted his development a little bit. And, yeah, I agree. I think when Coleman Hutzler was here, there was more linebacker progress than when it's been under the shoulder.
1: That, to me, is the most disappointing thing about the defense in 21, guys. When you write the book on the 2021 season, we, you know again, go back to last year. Like, you had Osai. Chris Brown played at an All-Big 12 level. Mm-hmm. You know, Taquan Graham was just kind of your, your rock in the middle of your yeah, defense. Yeah, he was steady. Your linebackers got better. Got better. There wasn't a single aspect of this defense that got on an upward trajectory throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Everybody either kind of plateaued or got worse. Who's was your most consistent player on defense? Was it Anthony right. Cook? Josh Thompson, Thompson, Anthony Cook. That's
0: about it. And when we don't even say uh, any D-linemen, because yeah, yeah, he thought, thought the strength looks would looks be on, there. Uh, all of our I take that back. You know what? <laughs> it uh,
1: silence. It, honestly, silence. even though he, he made some plays, he gave room. up some plays, I would probably, if you're asking me, like, who was your defensive MVP. MVP of 21, if I had to pick somebody, I'd probably say Ovia Gofu. Oof.
2: Yeah. I mean, I can't. I'm not gonna. He's the great transfer filling guy. Just because I a... can't
1: come up with a better one, <laughs> and that's an yeah, indictment. Exactly. I like, of we can't. know we can't.
2: Because uh, I can't. So just a like
1: one. we we talked about at one point, like who on this defense has gotten better? Maybe Sweat a Gofu. Um, I can make a case for J. Barron. Baron, but other than that, I'm I'm grasping at you're, you're grasping at straws if you make try to make a strong argument. I think for, for any more guys beyond that. Yeah, like I said, I, I like Alfred, I got, did
0: Alfred I, Collins get better throughout the year? Alfred Collins got a little better. Yeah, only because it somehow went so far <laughs> down that he wasn't playing the opening weeks. Yeah, at weeks. one point he wasn't even
2: playing. Yes, yeah, So, well, he, so did he did get
0: better. Did better from that point on. Yeah. But, like, at least I would say par for the course, guys, like – Sweat and Ojemo up front sort of gave you what you expected. It wasn't as if they were worse than what you expected, but they were nothing that was yeah. accelerated growth. Yeah.
2: No, you just didn't have a, a consistent, steady presence at any level of the defense. Yeah, uh, Thompson any, would have
0: been my answer, um, I guess.
2: Thompson? I mean, you could throw that out there with Josh Thompson, but, I mean, I... I By the
0: end of the year, Jaday Barron... He, he may be improved. Enough, though, yeah, exactly. Yeah,
2: and I remember, you know, Josh Thompson giving up some plays, but I agree with Jeff. He was better. That he was better from 2020 to 2021. Um, I, there's no question about it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think there is a right answer to that question. That's the whole point. And that's yep. so that's an indictment on the coaching staff. This is when listen, I understand they're going to get better when they get more better players in. But as I've always said, if you need great players. To be a great coach. You are not a great coach. <laughs> Sorry, dude, Good masquerading as a great coach. Your whole point is those players over there should have gotten better. And we are, we've been watching this team. We know it as well as anybody, intimately, in and out. And it was hard trying to find guys and say, hey, this guy definitely got better on defense. So that's on the coaches, man. I know they may have started out as just some straight-up you know, Jags and jabronis out there, but they still should have gotten better week to week, and I'm not sure that happened. It's sporadic. We can name some performances, but there needs to be a consistent trajectory be like, man, this player is really getting better. I like this. I like that. We can't name that, so that's on the coaches.
1: Every time you go there from the Jag-jabroni deal, all I think of is that scene in Major Payne when the cadets move <laughs> up and he tells them, you're still an S sandwich, just not a soggy one. <laughs> exactly. There you
2: go. Yeah, exactly. That, that's
1: a very football coach that's thing exactly to say right. too.
2: Yeah, it's, my whole point is like, well, you're, yeah, you're still a soggy-ish sandwich. Then they should yeah. have been. They should have been at least a You know, just a soggy and sandwich. I, right?
1: a I don't mean like to about, fully sides, swipe sandwich everything. <laughs> but Blitz sweet.
0: If you look across the roster, I think you could basically say that for everybody but Worthy, maybe Rojo, but like. They, who got better well, by the end the of the year? The special
2: teams I thought actually throughout the year was consistent and as a got unit. better yeah. as a unit. And then you got to throw Dicker the kicker in there. Who, True, I, Dicker the kicker got better. So we want to go all around team. I'm sure we can be really specific and find guys. But I'm with you for the most part. It's. You know, I, I would, I would, you have would digits it, for it. I'd find it really hard to find, yeah, two hands worth of guys, like ten, at least ten know, guys. I say guys. And down. since
0: you mentioned special teams, I want to put just throw it out real quick because I didn't fit it in last week. Oh, but yeah, but Texas finished, according to Bill Conley, with the eighth best special teams in the country. Shout and, out! And I mean, that's a bit of a surprise. And you look at that list and you see Texas at number eight. Mm-hmm. So at least some metrics have that being an elite group, which Most is nice. maybe
1: one third. It's just the least. Important of the thirds, and that's on special teams, though. Mm-hmm. When we look at roster defections, most of this roster is going to be back. And I know Cameron Dicker still hasn't publicly made his decision, even though I don't think anybody expects him to be back. It would be an upset at this point if you get if, Dicker back. Just but beat. Justin Motter not taking the extra year COVID eligibility and deciding he wants to go try his hand at the NFL, which the Just, long snap, Justin Motter might make a roster as a deep snapper. He's that oh, good.
2: yeah, dude, deep snappers all the time make rosters. Well. Um.
1: That's a really big hole Jeff Banks has to fill in the offseason. I know we don't spend a ton of time talking about snappers, but how many times in the last four years did we worry about snaps? I don't think we've ever worried. Oh, about field goals, PATs, puns, whatever. Nope. I'm Didn't worry about it with it's... Justin Moder. He was damn good.
2: Mm-hmm. Damn good. And he's got—he's probably got um, some NFL teams, or at least some scouts that have already told him, like, "Hey, I man, would think so, yeah, you got, dude. You can—you can make our roster. We already got an old guy. He's, hes hes costing us a little too much right now. We've—he's like a color leftler, right? He's like, yeah, he's, we had him around, but he's on—he's on year ten and." He's at basically a million dollars, so we want to get him the hell out of here. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. pay you two hundred
1: thirty dollars Yeah, yeah. yeah well, I, actually, his
2: base, I think the base now is up because of the new CBA. But yeah, older players are more expensive, so that's why they like young deep snappers because they don't want to have an expensive deep snapper. No, so that he, needs to be oh, one of the cheapest positions on your team. You if know Bill
0: Belichick that. gets this guy, we're going to know he's like one of the best long snappers very ever. True. It's like a very odd niche. Yeah, Belichick 30, will talk exactly. for hours about long snappers. Yeah, but 32
2: teams, they think like that. They find a deep snapper, they keep him for
0: eight years, yeah. pretty much. If
2: someone were two contracts, once he gets too old and expensive, then they think, is it worth it? Can we, if if you find a scout, you say, hey, go find me a damn deep snapper, go. He go out there and he goes to find you a deep snapper and found you a cheap one, and Texas has a good one.
0: I read an article, too, about how uh, basically the most refined skill in modern NFL is the deep snapper because if you remember back when we were kids, there used to be bad snaps on punts all the time. time. And nowadays, there's never a bad snap on any level. Across the NFL, if we're talking about on field goals, extra points, or on punts, it never happens anymore And that it's became one of the most refined skills in the sport that goes unnoticed. quick in not to get we'll us get too not to get us too far off on the
1: tens. you know who i think changed that i think Dell Hellestray with the early 90s cowboys changed that because especially mm. in this state cuz i think a lot of people looked at it like wow you can play 10 15 years in the nfl just by being a snapper just by snapper. you don't have to like run and hit or have a true position you just be a snapper now dude? it's illegal to hit them yeah yeah yep no, it's I a guess. hell of it's a hell of a trade to learn, man. Yeah, it was
2: so rare that's why they stopped hitting them. They were like, man, you cannot touch them other than quarterback. These guys are
1: really hard to find. Yeah, so that's why the NFL changed rule. You can't even touch the deep snapper. So as a Cowboys fan, I'm thankful for Dale Hellestray and LP Latteser, guys that were just <laughs> decade plus, just stuck them at snapper, and you never. Never worried about snaps. It's true, man. It's Something true. Texas. We've spent way too much time talking about snappers on this show. But that's, <laughs> just file that away. That's nerdy football stuff. It, it, no, it's probably going to be Zach Edwards that's in the point. spring. And I know Jeff Banks, when we talked to him in the preseason, he felt like, you know, Zach Edwards was good. But mm-hmm. Texas honestly had one of the best snappers in the country. Yep. Just a modern had him for four years, so good point. Uh, just man. file that away on uh, on special teams. I was mm-hmm. going to bring up something else as far as guys who've improved, guys who've gotten better, but uh, damn
2: it, the I, deep snapping rant. Totally, I didn't to to have track. a damn deep
1: snapping. <laughs> you know what that is? That's a dang coaching mistake. Was it offense or point. defense? Do you remember? I don't remember. Right. I'll probably. I'll, I'm sure. I nah, will we'll come back it to it. Oh again. no, now I remember. I yes. got it. Um, when we talk about this roster turnover, this roster transition. Mm-hmm. Um, I went down to one day of All American Bowl practices in San Antonio. Just oh, nice! You know, I we didn't. There was there was no All American Bowl last year, two years ago. I just yeah. wanted to go down there for one because I want to see B. John Robinson and Alfred Collins. I want to watch guys mm-hmm. fast, fast guys that are good football players. I want to watch them on a field with other fast, really good football players and see how it translates. Real time, yep. Because trust me, there's some years I've been down there, and Texas is taking some guys where I'm like, mm, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then there's been other years where it translates pretty well. Yeah, like, did you watch oh, the- hey, DJ Monroe might be the fastest guy in this game.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, that's why
1: important. You can watch film on a guy, but also you need to go watch
2: somebody play, especially if you can do it versus light competition. And yeah. you can see, oh, elite
1: competition, you know, you too. can just see, you know, the guy I was really watching, two guys. Well, Jalen Gilbo, Rod, right? I think you'll like this kid. Like he, the corner. Yeah, he mm-hmm. doesn't, you know, top end speed. He doesn't have long speed, doesn't have elite speed. But that kid kind of reminds me of Jadae Barrett. Just mm-hmm. a kid, when the ball's in the air, that kid just competes his tail off. He's going to get called for some DPIs, and he's going to give up some plays. But he's going to make some, too.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, I watched him a little bit. Uh, no, I do like his style. He just seems to be gritty. He's got good instincts. Kind of reminds me, randomly, a little bit of Terrell Brown. That's kind of a, a okay. Kind of stood out. I don't know why that, it came to mind to me. But, I mean, obviously, that guy played a long time in the league. So, if you can
1: get a Terrell Brown, you'd be lucky to have him. Yeah, and like what Started you did, the skill set. the best just, secondary in school history, too. Yep, the skill
0: set you just described reminded me of watching what Georgia and Alabama were doing to those receivers
1: last right, night. Right, like, right. It, was yeah. it was just physical as hell. Around. Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, but no, physical, though. I mean, yeah. he's they, a guy that he's he's small, large. Was he 5'10, 5'11? Uh, yeah.
0: Probably.
2: Maybe, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but he's a physical guy. Like, like I think that's what stands out that you're talking about he wants to be physical. He'll probably try to get up and bump and run. And yeah. I think they want corners that can that can play man to Disru- man,
0: because when I mean, you get to the highest of levels of football and you want to win those games against physical freaks, like if you are able to do that and just have the option to disrupt rhythms of passing games, it's a skill set that not every corner has. But if you have it, it's valuable it's a
1: reroute a wide right receiver. Mm-hmm. It's a but lost start. G- Jamon Tap, watching him again, uh, the most underappreciated aspect of this recruiting class. Justice Finkley had a great week at the Under Armour game, mm-hmm. by the way. Texas went into Alabama and won a head-to-head against Nick Saban to get Justice Finkley, And they went into Louisiana and got a kid in Jamon Tap that LSU wanted, that LSU tried to get back in the fold, tried to get them in their class, and he said no, and he ends up signing with Texas. Rod, just watching Jamon Tap against some of the best offensive tackles in the country, just his natural explosiveness off the ball, Mm -hmm. how explosive his hands are, that punch he's got, how twitched up he is at 245, 250 pounds. Texas isn't have any of those guys on the roster right now. Yeah. And they I mean, that's the guys going to have to play right away. I, you're going to need a couple again, of those guys. You'd like to redshirt him and let him develop. I think he's going to come on campus and be one of the best edge rushers you got. At least situationally you're going to have to yeah. play
2: him. Yeah. And, and we got guys that like that that can win one-on-ones.
1: And we've seen before Texas has played young guys. I mean, Alex Okafor played on a loaded defensive line played early as a situational guy. Brian Arakpo is a true freshman, played early as a situational guy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Jackson Jeffcoat did. So we, we've seen yeah. really – O-Sai. Osai played mm-hmm. as a true freshman. Yeah. Uh, even maybe when he wasn't physically, just didn't have that man body yet, didn't have a, a big 12 every down body, mm-hmm. but he was so good, you just got to put him on the field and let him work. I think that's what's going to happen with Jamon Tapp and Justice Finkley. Yeah, hey, you might show.
2: have that happen in that on that defense a lot, considering what we saw – uh, in the secondary, you could have that at a couple mm-hmm. of places, and you could have that on the defensive front too.
0: Yeah, I mean, and you said the name earlier when we were talking about Alabama, but a guy like Dallas Turner, he's a freshman. Like Alabama <laughs> has freshman guys out there doing That's those true. things. Will Anderson's only a sophomore. They're both going to be here at Texas That's next year as underclassmen. That's the thing, Will man, when you,
1: when you start stacking elite recruiting classes. Texas, I know people don't have a very fond opinion of Urban Meyer. But I heard him say this his last year doing studio stuff for Fox. It was before the Texas TCU game. And he was talking they were asking about talent at Texas. He's like, Texas is recruited good. He's like, I don't know if they've recruited elite. I'm like, huh. Let me think about that. Because if you think about it, like Texas had a couple of top, was the top three classes under Tom Herman. They had one, I think the 2020 class was eighth in the country. When you look at what it means to recruit elite, like that's what Georgia and Alabama do every year you're stacking legitimately top two, top three classes, one on top of the other, on top of the other, on top of the other. Yeah. And, Rod, that's what the talent level got to by the end of your career at Texas. Granted, now, you're a great barometer for this. Compare the talent level at Texas your freshman year when you walked in the door to where it was when you left at the end of that 0-2 season. Um,
2: I mean, yeah, it was, it was a whole lot different just because, I, honestly – you still had the front line guys when I got here. I mean, you had Casey Hamptons and Sean Rogers and Leonard Davis and Mike Williams. I mean, mm-hmm. you had some, a lot Sutter of quick, quick yeah, yeah. You had some NFL talent. The difference was by the time I left, you also had, in addition to the front line guys being NFL players, hell, the the backups were too. Yeah, the yeah. backups and hell, even the the you know, I mean, the third string guys. You're like, oh man, that guy that guy's got an NFL future. That's what it was by the time I left, especially in the secondary, places like that. Yeah. That stockpile that rule.
0: And to your point, Jeff, talking about, you know, what Urban said when talking about good but not great, like you can end up with top five classes in a multitude of different ways. You can have a class that's really deep with above average players and you put in take in, you know, fifteen of those twenty five, and that could be a top tier class and it can be quite different than another class that's maybe rated the same way but is full of, you know, five blue chip top caliber type guys. So yeah. that roster makeup, it really can be very different. You might see two teams next to each other in a recruiting ranking, but the makeup of that class the same way that you would look at a range of outcomes inside, you know, stats. Like if you follow a guy's yards per rush, a guy like Bijan, that yards per rush can fly up there cuz he's going to get that 140 and then might have a 0 or a 2 or something along those lines, but you're still averaging out the same as somebody that just went a to pop all the way so those ranges of outcomes can do the same thing in those classes and if you can say be that team that's getting a top five class but getting big time top tier recruits like the way a 02 class was where you had like five or six five stars or like where you can have a hit rate the way you do in a 05 class where you have that many NFL players maybe coming from this situation off of a lower quantity of players but still have the elite production of
1: a class yep yeah, and that's a good point. I feel like we've said the same thing for over a decade now. Every the decade again. we've been doing this this <laughs> podcast. Can they develop these guys? That's that's what it's all about. If Steve, if Steve Sarkeesian is the right guy, then in three years we won't be having this conversation because Texas will be ready to go into the SEC. Yeah,
2: how does Baylor win the Big 12 title and finish a top five team? Out of nowhere. Talent development. And making the most it's, of the talent you have. It's like built, that. Flipping over a program yeah, like Rule, that. Well, because Matt Rule, when he left, Matt Rule didn't leave it in disarray, right? Matt Rule was building something when he left, went to the league. Obviously, the NFL, very different than college. But from <laughs> 2017, that, like post-browse um, to yeah, when Rule exactly. showed up and so, changed it. And we it. know Matt Rule is one of the best talent developers and program builders in college football. Mm-hmm. Like I said, different from the NFL. And Dave Aranda was able to really, and like I said, he, one of the things he did that I – that I really liked, and we talked about it on the show. He doesn't try to eradicate the entire culture Matt Rule right. had when he left. Mm-hmm. He, he kept a lot of the things that Matt Rule did, a lot yep. of the concepts, and a lot of the culture there. And he was able to pick up right where he left off. Of course, after the two win season, um, but after some tweaks and bringing in Jeff Grimes, he was able to obviously win the Big Twelve and have was the best year in Baylor football highest, in history, highest AP
1: poll finish in program history. Wow, that is. The first Mind time being. Baylor's finished in the top five in the eight people. That's mind-blowing. You know, can I – I have one comment on that Mind. as we get ready to wrap this thing up. When we talk about eradicating a culture – because we know we know Tom Herman did that. Tom Herman came in and went scorched earth. Yeah. Um, and, to and Charlie, I think, realized pretty quick that he had to with the roster purge and everything else. Just, yeah. There was a – we talk about it. Mac, at the end, was just so focused on winning. There was a lot of stuff in that program that went mm-hmm. unchecked. Very true. And Charlie, unfortunately, had to be served pro and go in and, you know, assess the damage mm-hmm. and fix it. I, I really, I, I could be wrong. This is just my theory. Based on people I talked to, reading the tea leaves, piecing things together, et cetera. I don't think it was Sark's goal or mission to eradicate Tom Herman's culture. Mm-hmm. I really think he took this job thinking he could build on it. Okay. And then once you got into the middle of the season, when adversity hit, and guys that you thought were bought in, guys that you thought understood what you were trying to do, very much didn't.
0: Okay.
1: I think at that point Sark realized, oh wow, I really do have to eradicate this thing. I really do have to start over.
0: Okay. Bo Davis felt. I that. I really do have to
1: uproot uproot some trees and plants. Uh, uproot these rotten trees and plant some new ones.
2: Okay. I don't disagree. I mean, I don't, yeah, I said I don't know for sure. I mean, and yeah. nobody does. Um, I just think I, he improperly assessed the situation. He, well, that's that, we definitely know that. Um, just from <laughs> a- analyzing the personnel that he had and how good his defensive line was and the game plan versus Arkansas, we know that he severely over either over uh, overestimated in a lot of sense. It didn't underestimate it in some respects uh, what he had on this roster. But I do think – man, I always think there's something good from the previous – Regime that you can build on. Mm-hmm. And I think Tom Herman did have some. There was some, like I said, Tom Herman's teams were tough. Like they were tough yep. teams. Like you weren't tough this year. Like, not at all. Like, you were not mentally tough at all. Yeah. Like, when adversity hit, your teams would fold like mm-hmm. a cheap suit. I'm just saying that there there's some things. from. I, I, obviously, I, I'm not saying Tom Herman didn't need to go. Of course, I'm not some Tom Herman, uh, you know, a- apologist. But I'm just saying that there's always something you can build on from a previous regime. And I think when you try to eradicate and throw it all out, you end up five and seven, and you end up basically going from all gas, no brakes to, we have to rebuild this classic car from yeah. the inside out. And it's like, what the hell? What happened to all gas, no brakes? What the hell? Now we're a he classic automobile needs <laughs> yeah, to be rebuilt? And you got to order the parts over from Europe and there's did you get in? issues. And, uh, what the hell? What, what happened to the all gas, no brakes? Now the car's stuck in the front yard. It yep. wouldn't even run. you <laughs> didn't <looked laughs> so like have a transmission. It's like, what the hell happened? So I to, to getting back to, to get him back me. to him like, yes, I've overestimating what he had on the roster you know so I don't know I just like that's always somewhere you can kind of start building and I think Texas coaches always want to start from scratch and it's like dude you're making it tougher than it needs to be yep yeah I mean you're making it a little tougher than it needs to be that's yep. all
1: right. I think I think uh, I think Charlie knew he needed to start over because I think that was the message to him from yeah. administration we know Tom Herman didn't give a damn. He was coming in scorched earth. Yeah. He started dogging
2: Charlie Strong when he
1: got from, as soon as he got it. Yeah. Yeah, the don't get like, dogging everything about the culture. It's what I you no know, it's one mm-hmm. thing it's one thing I'll give Charlie credit for. Charlie publicly, behind the scenes, whatever. Publicly he never threw Mac under the bus. Hey yeah. No, he I oh, agree. He there. honored Mac. He did. I was gonna say
2: he actually gave props to Mac. Yeah. yeah. Talk about how they he got might a really dropped, good... He might yeah. have dropped
1: he a hint they here. got a good coach fired and stuff. Like. It's kinda like, it's kinda like how uh Sark Sark hasn't publicly thrown Tom Herman under the bus. He has not. He said a couple things here and there, like, "Yeah, this roster isn't built exactly like I would want it." Mm -hmm. But he didn't come in like. Remember that first spring when? And I'm not. I don't want to turn this into a bash Tom Herman episode. We're just talking about culture and rot, as you said. As you said, God, God, if I never have to hear that That again, that cake
0: was baked.
1: That cake had salmonella. (laughs)
2: <laughs> Do you, in the oven. Well, can done. you have
1: salmonella and you know, baked goods i don't, I don't know, know. But i
2: think you're right i like that description uh
1: but <laughs> no rod what you're talking about uh you know in terms of finding something you know finding something that you can build on or mm-hmm. you know eradicating the culture remember that first spring when tom herman came in he's like oh these defensive linemen are fat uh, we gotta get yeah <laughs> so i remember linemen. that damn yeah bro. i was like man man these guys are some of them were pretty highly recruited. Some of them were pretty good <laughs> players last year. Yeah. yeah, they ran Jordan Elliott out of here. Yeah, yeah. No, I remember yeah. that. That's Another guy that's, that's in the league called them fans. Another guy that's in the league. And I don't like. I said I don't think I don't think Sark felt like he had to to rebuild the culture. And no, this isn't just me giving myself an out because I said it when Sark took the job. I was like, I don't think this culture needs to be overhauled. I just felt it needed to be tweaked a little bit. Yeah, it's like you said right there, there were some good foundational pieces Tom Herman laid. People, Those line of scrimmages,
0: good, they were getting a lot better from, like, by, when you look at 2018 and 19, and it was, like, even the production in 2020 along the lines of scrimmage, like, they were well above average.
2: Yeah. Your, I mean, your running back room is what it is because Tom Herman, you know, mm-hmm. obviously stacked the running back room. And I'm sorry, I'm just saying, like, I think. Quarterback. the Quarterbacks, you know what I mean? So I just think that at, at times um, the, the coaching staff that came in, I think they tried to cut ties with a ton of the either concepts, personnel that Tom Herman had. I know they had to work with a lot of those guys, but honestly, I think that the, the roster at one point gave up on the coaching staff, and I'm not going to lie, I think at one point the coaching staff kind of gave up on the roster yep. during the mm-hmm. season. I think that I, I think it happened at different times, and I think they came back together at the end of the season to win a game, but I think during that six-game losing streak, historic six-game losing streak, I think the coaches gave up on the roster at one point. Remember, they started talking about the future a lot. Mm-hmm. We're going to get the Third new players got new to the
1: future probably probably after the Iowa State game right so
2: i talked about the future and the he yeah. was like whoa that's a lot of, hey we gotta win a game now what do I <laughs> talk about the future and the "Okay, they gave up mm-hmm. on these because you had the, the Iowa record. State
1: game and then the bus yeah. video leaked and that they got fed week, up so. and I
2: think the players at one point got fed up with the coaches like hey man it ain't working You've mm-hmm. I been mean, doing what the hell you. I think the players probably gave up on the coaches first. And the then the Kansas
0: camp. game happened, and it's just like. And then oh, yeah. it was like,
2: all right, man. <laughs> and, and F both, both of them was giving each other the middle finger as the Kansas game. You know what? F you. F you. Yeah. F you too, man. So I, I'll, I'll tell what what you
1: what, like the rock bottom moment for me during the season. Kansas game? Well, no, but the I, there was a specific say? point in that game. Because remember, I didn't go to the Kansas game. I was with the basketball team in Spokane, so I, I'm watching that game. I'm watching that game in my hotel before I go oh, to the, the arena.
2: on catching the touchdown. And
1: I remember, like, the Hudson card pick six, and it's, what, 35-14 at that oh, point? Oh, I remember that. And I'm like, dude, this might actually happen. And I remember Sark, and I don't remember verbatim what he said, but I think he said something along the worst lines of he's he, ever he said, this is the worst half of football <laughs> I've ever been associated with. I'm like... I'm like, man, it, it really got to this exactly. point.
0: Like, it got to that. Point I feel like where... I'm
1: Ron Burgundy drinking a Miller High. like, boy, that escalated quickly.
0: Yeah, they had yeah. those TV lights on Sark, and you could just see it in his you know, face. Like, my God. My God, these now guys Now I got to go address this team? This roster's terrible. <laughs> what are you going to say to that team? <laughs> I was going
2: to say, like, I know he had that moment where they essentially gave up on this roster. They did. I remember the comments and everything. I remember they asked Sark straight up, hey, have you know, the coaches, have the players tuned you out? He's mm. like, I don't know, you gotta ask them. He's like, that, that, that is come on.
0: He didn't even try to fake it. He
1: well, had to no, no, ask a, them. He had to put Macy throwing off. Like
0: his <laughs> thumb like the for that second half of the and we all it was amazing the second half, but it's like he can't even throw the ball. You, he can't even
1: throw you know what? Speaking of that, there's two games in the last decade <laughs> Texas beat K-State in where you had major quarterback issues yet. Like you remember the, the 2015 season, the week after they beat Oklahoma, they come back to DKR and it was in a monsoon. And Gerard oh, Hurd yeah. had to go to Jay Norvell and be like, I, I literally, he literally could not grip the ball. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've said on my show and I've said on this podcast on the site, I will not stand for any Gerard Hurd slander. <laughs> but he's like Jay, Jay Norvell said, like, yeah, Gerard said he could not grip the ball to throw it the ball was that wet. So wow. they they did not have the option of the forward pass in that game against K-State and won the game. <laughs> and won the game. Because right? they, they just went like, hey, wildcat. We'll just run Gerard the, and then when yeah, he gets yeah. tired, put – 18 wheeler package in, and we'll we'll, we'll grind through this thing. (laughs) No, 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 they I remember that game, and then you pretty much go forget Wildcat, you were going like Thurman Thomas, Tecmo Super Bowl, direct snap to Roshan Johnson, pretty much the whole second half. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what you did. And (laughs) it it was was, the Wildcat, like you have some motion, and there's some, no, yeah, you were just going direct snap to the tailback.
2: And now we know if you know with the way Skyler Thompson performed in the bowl game, if they'd had him, they'd be Texas, because
1: man. (laughs) <laughs> Will saying, Howard I think we 100%. all know no, no, they had, If
2: they had Scott Thompson they beat Texas they, mm-hmm. it, it, it's that, Say what you want It's pretty obvious to me As it, a, He look. turned
0: into a good
1: quarterback Exactly
2: <laughs> He was All that Because all K-State needed Was the threat of the vertical pass which yes. they did not have With Will Spill the Peel Howard The
1: vertical passing game They
2: had no vertical passing game They couldn't throw it downfield no. At all
1: when you're when you're a fan base and your quarterback situation is to the point where you're relieved <laughs> to get Adrian Martinez out of the portal, that pretty much tells you where you are.
0: You're <laughs> <Just> celebrating. <laughs> what we're explaining is what we're going to see from the Pittsburgh Steelers in the playoffs. It's going to be a lot of wildcat, <laughs> and you can't throw the ball downfield, and somehow we get Larotheberger instead of Herbert.
1: Yeah, that's a great comparison. Yeah, that's the the worst part about it. Like I I want to see Justin Herbert spin in the playoffs instead. I got to watch. The Chiefs just club the Steelers oh, like defenseless yeah. baby seals. Yeah, it's going to be ugly. It's like,
0: you remember Najee Harris running into a real quick
1: NFL tangent. Much. There's a video uh, one of the SB Nation groups did. It's called, it's like the worst, the worst last game of a career. It looked at Dan Marino's last game. Like, they about oh, no. one of my favorite quarterbacks of all time. Oh, no. Like, for me, hey, Brady, whatever you want to do. Like, for me, it's John Elway, Dan Marino. <laughs> Troy Aikman's also in there, but whatever. Um, but like Dan Marino, this great career, right? One of the greatest gunslingers that ever lived. There's that playoff game, that divisional game in Jacksonville where they lost like sixty-two to seven. And Marino was like six of thirteen for two interceptions and like sixty <laughs> yards. Like, uh, it's like this is this is how it's gonna end for it's Dan Marino. End. That's how it's pretty much going to end for Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, no, we're doing that.
2: It's going to be ugly. Yeah, it's you know. I'm glad he got to the big to the big show again. Glad he got amazing. to the, to the dance. But yeah, they
0: amazing. should have tied that last game too. Like if you went to that Steelers game, almost
1: tied. Yeah, they tied well. the
0: Lions. Oh, the whole reason nice. they got in.
1: Hey, real quick, Rod. Um. Crazy. By the way, Dan, Dan Marino's last game was a sixty-two-seven loss to Jacksonville. Wow. Uh, Which is sounds January like a sentence f- that should never be uttered in
0: foot in the NFL in nineteen ninety-nine, three years after they were an expansion team.
1: Well, Jacksonville, as as uh Ron Wolf called them, he said Carolina and Jacksonville weren't expansion franchises; they were free agency franchises. They
0: were the way they built them up.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, That's a good
1: point. Because Definitely remember they had that weird deal champions. where you could, if you drafted mm-hmm. players in expansion draft, if you had them on your roster for a certain amount of time. You could cut them and create cap room, and then you could sign better free agents. Yeah, that way it they was wonky. Them. Yeah, them. It was wonky. That's why they were in the AFC
2: title game and the NFC
1: title game were within three two, years. Because yeah. the, mean, of, the, the NFL didn't the want
0: – The end of Aikman and Emmitt was against the Panthers.
1: The NFL didn't want, like, you know, the John McKay Bucks or those Seahawks. I agree with that, uh, They yeah. wanted competitive teams. And three them.
0: years later, they screwed the Texans and Browns, though, and changed those rules. Yeah, Dan
1: Marino's last game, which uh, actually the, uh, the anniversary of that, 22 years ago on Saturday. On January fifteenth, uh, Dan Marino, the great Dan Marino, eleven of 25, 95 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions and a sixty-two-seven
0: loss. That's Man. an exact Ben Roethlisberger Ooh. stat line. That's yeah, that's
2: ugly. Hey, Big Ben may surprise you, but I doubt it.
1: <laughs> I doubt it. And just looking at Dan, like Dan Marino's face, looking at some images, Google images from that game. You look at Dan Marino's face. He knows. He knows it's over. He knows it's over. He, he it's over.
2: didn't want it to end like this, but <laughs> he knows. It's he easy. knows. He's like, this is why <laughs> I'm done. Because I'm dumb. Like,
1: yeah. um, I forgot. I got on a Dan Marino tangent. I forgot we were talking about Texas-wise. Um, <laughs> my bad on that. Oh, I don't know how I got from Gerard Hurd throwing a wet ball to, to Dan, Dan Marino. Marino.
2: Mm-hmm. Wow. That's the first time know. Gerard Hurd's been in the same conversation with Dan Marino. What, I,
1: what did I just say about <laughs> Gerard Hurd slander? Oh, my bad. Am I just talking to hear myself talk over here. <laughs> no, um, no, we'll be back next week. We'll continue breaking down. We didn't get into Gary Patterson this week because uh, it's not we're, official. Official, unofficial. Official, but it's gonna be official. Official soon, right? Remember when things used to be Facebook official? Yeah. Not that long ago. <laughs> it's not face. It's not Facebook yeah, it's official. going will change your status soon. Um, it, I think it's it's not it's not I wouldn't it's not fair to say it's complicated. It's just. Don't, it's just taking a little don't, long. don't jump the gun yeah, uh, yeah. but that job I'll tell you this that job description though And posting the posting that is I had a TCU source reach out to me said that is almost verbatim the job description Jerry Kill had which I when I first reported this a few, really? a few weeks yeah, ago yeah I remember you said that and I said it wasn't going to be a traditional analyst role it probably wasn't going to be an on field role Gary Patterson I think was really angling hope was hoping Sark would go for that Jerry Kill role with him being kind of over the defense it's Right now, looks like it's headed in that exact direction. That
2: is interesting. Yeah. So, we, it is something new and like the uncharted waters, essentially, for Texas, in terms of what they're going yeah. to pay him and in terms of the Gary Patterson's
1: jurisdiction. And Gary where he, Patterson is basically going to come to Texas to fill a job role that he created at TCU. Is he going to be PK's boss? Is what I want
2: to know. PK, under- PK, will PK answer to Gary Patterson is the question <sighs> I would have for Sark and I have for you and to Sark? Yeah, I'm just sorry. Can I go back to
1: that? It's complicated
2: thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. see, that's that's what's going to get text in trouble. It needs to be because... clearly established who is whose boss because there will be
1: disagreement
2: oh, yeah. about how to approach a game plan, how to develop a certain player, all that type of stuff. And when there is a disagreement, it needs to be said, hey, I'll state my, this is how I feel, coach, but it's your found decision. And that's how usually football staffs work. Hey, coach, this is what I think we should do, but it's your decision. And then that coach my... makes the found decision.
1: Here's how I'm interpreting it. Now, it could change, but based on talking to TCU people, how the Jerry Kill deal worked out, Mm -hmm. this is kind of how I'm thinking it's going to go. Whether it was Sonny Cumbie or Doug Meacham, whoever it was, Jerry Kill was basically involved in the day-to-day of everything. Scouting reports, recruiting, game plans, personnel, with the exception of nothing to do with what happens on game day. He had a headset. Interesting. But the play caller – the offensive play caller, whether it was Cumbie or Meacham, they had autonomy. They had, he had a, uh, Jerry Kill apparently wore a headset but didn't have communication with the press box.
0: So the
1: play caller had autonomy to call plays. It was was his show on game day. But During during the week leading up to it, you basically had kind of a, Jerry Kill is kind of the CEO of the offense. Did he file a wow. report after
0: the game? Probably? I don't know, he know if he heard? filed
1: TPS reports or not.
0: Yeah. It's, yeah. No, it's No, that's uh, – that's. I like
1: said, it, the, what, the, what was done at TCU, it was just something basically Gary Patterson created yeah. to try to get Jerry Kill on the staff in a position somewhere between a full-time coach and an analyst. And did it work? Not really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You <laughs> he had heard about it. I was like, it seems like a
2: lot did it work. Mm-hmm. Not, I mean, really. not really. Yeah, I mean, not actually really. In fact, the TCU basically
1: fired GP. That's what a... I'm saying. Like Their Jerry... offense didn't work. The, really... the only person that worked for, Jerry Kill, got to be the interim head coach <laughs> yeah. for Jerry half the season. And now he's oh, coaching so the Mexico State. He's going to work out for Gary <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, no. No, no! not for me. He's going
2: to be fine. What about PK? He's going to go coach
0: UTSA after Trailer leaves somewhere. So,
2: now you just tell us. That's how. Okay, I see how it's going to work. Gary no, no, no. Patterson's gonna be fine. Jerry Kilcoaching New probably, Mexico State, and he'll <laughs> probably be calling plays here uh, in Texas in like a year. Greg Robinson style, I'll, I'll obviously. Rest in peace, Harlan. Man, the yeah, great, you Greg talk Greg about
1: you talk about one of the yeah yeah best defensive coordinators this program has ever had. <laughs> Two seasons, memorable seasons for very different reasons. Mm-hmm. One led to a Rose Bowl. A decade. One. About. Yep. Greg Robinson got that job because Manny Diaz got kiffed on the tarmac coming back from Provo. <laughs> mm-hmm. I kid, it wasn't really no on the tarmac. No, it wasn't but really on the tarmac. Yeah, it was, yeah. once he got to home home was to see his family, and then he was fired. Based yeah. on the text I was getting from Rod on the silent, like if Rod was the AD, it would have been he, Manny would have been fired halfway through the third quarter. He wouldn't have been allowed back <laughs> on the plane.
2: I'd have got him a first class flight. Rod, from is that the most? Is, is the, not with the team?
1: No. Rod, is that the most just disgusted you've ever been watching a Texas game?
2: I was. It was embarrassing, man, with those BYU fans there. Mr. Bolender, the that rain was yeah. It blowout. was it was it was embarrassing. I mean, go to the were,
1: Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page yeah, and look at Rod's picture if you want to know what Rod thought about yeah, that night. In the Mormons <laughs> were
2: they were not being kind. <laughs> and then they got to the point where they felt bad for somebody in the game. And at first they were taunting. They were like, "Oh, dude, you guys okay? You guys, okay, man. You guys will be all
0: right, man." I was like, "Damn it, Mormons, get out of here!" <laughs> meanwhile, Taysom Hill still playing. Oh now. man, there you go. See, that made us feel better. Good point. Andrew Williams
1: league. Um, while we're running some things down. I know we're hashtag Team Foreman on this show, and we lost yeah. we lost Papa, Papa Foreman, Foreman last fall. Yep, Man, if Deontay Foreman's NFL career ended right now, the story would be incredible. It's a great story. But career year for him mm-hmm. he, with the Titans. I'm happy for him. You Save know, their season. Filled in for Derrick Henry. That. Yeah, they yeah. won the division, wrapped up the number one seed in the AFC because Deontay Foreman was back there toting the ride. Oh. Did you see, I, I loved watching him just abused the Texans in the mm-hmm. regular season. Finale. I'm sure he loved it more than you did. Did you see his cleats? Because he, he wore a pair of cleats earlier in season to honor his dad. Yeah. Uh, the cleats he wore at NRG, one side of him had all his high school accomplishments at Texas City, hmm. and the other shoe had all his accomplishments at Texas. Basically, he was coming back to do some damage in the state Damn of Texas. Damn right, brother. Hell and yeah. He uh, Four of his last six games are 100-yard games. i going to get him a new
2: contract next year, too. Hopefully with Hopefully. the Titans. Um,
1: So a lot of Longhorns wrapped up some really good NFL seasons. How about Malcolm Brown? Defensive tackle Malcolm Brown helping the Jags get a win over the Colts. At the expense of Sam Ellinger getting to be a part of the NFL playoffs. Malcolm Brown helps the Jags win a a football game. Uh, So shout out to all the Longhorns in the NFL. Lifetime Longhorns in the NFL. And
2: prayers for Quandre. I was going
1: there. Real quick, Jackson Jeffcoat. Winning a great hey, Cup with still the Winnipeg it, Blue Bombers, and I think he signed a new deal. I think he's gonna play another season. God, you talk about it, man. If you're if, if you're willing to slug it out in Canada and you can be productive, I you know. can make a nice living up there. You make a nice chunk. Of shit. He's been. I mean, he, are we going on ten years? No, not that long. I think this is probably because he spent some time in the NFL. Okay, I think this is like early. five, six.
2: Okay, something yeah. like that. Okay, time about How long has been playing professionally? Like, how long has he been oh, like since playing 14, professionally? 14, 14. He's been going, it yeah. might be going on 10 years. He might be going close oh, to a decade. Yeah. About nine, eight, nine that's years. That's what I'm saying. From, yeah. like that's, dude, playing professionally for 10 years as a football player, I don't give a damn
1: how you're doing it.
2: That mm-hmm. is, that's that's impressive, man.
1: Uh, but yes, to your point, Rod, and that's kind of how I want to end the show. Quandre Diggs is a friend of the show. Yeah, man. Uh, You know, every time I see Quandre. He always has a smile and a good word for Damn me. Right. Yep. Rod, I know you've talked about your experiences early in Quandre's life of him rolling down the hill at the practice field. Man, big head. Big head. <laughs> big
2: head, the same size as it is right now, man. But, man, he's a baller. And then the best thing that ever happened to him was they moved him to safety. He mm-hmm. uh, didn't have the body of a safety, but he had the mentality of one and became one of the best safeties in the league. He's going to be a free agent next year, so uh he's going to be back. Uh, they've already said that they, they think he'll end up being back. It's not his worst as they assumed it was initially, because they don't think he tore any broke ligaments, a just broke the yeah, just broke the bones. Thank goodness, but, man. Um, man, I, I that dude is awesome.
1: Like he really
2: is, and he's a warrior. They if Texas had more dogs like him, um, mm. hell, Texas wouldn't be where it is today.
1: With those, <laughs> with those injuries, man, you never know. You start talking about you can start talking about nerve damage yeah, and all different kinds Great. of stuff. So. Shout out Quandre if you're listening to this. Shout out man, get better, yeah, and uh, we know you'll be back on like the field. Him, soon.
0: He's like the only safety under 200 pounds in the NFL. No, he's he really listed is. at
2: 198. He's, you know, he reminds me of he's old school. Remember
0: Bob Sanders yes,
1: back in the yes, day? Yes, yes. He's
2: dude, and he's not fast like Bob Sanders was really fast. Yeah, actually. he was like a run. Um, yeah, yeah. Quandre is more instincts, but he plays like Bob Sanders. Yeah. Like he tracks the ball really well, and he's physical as hell. But like I said, I think I look down on Quandre. No, no offense, Quandre, but I, I do. I think I'm bigger than Quandre. I, I do. Not yeah. bigger as like thicker, but taller. I think I'm taller. Yeah. Uh, but <clears throat> he's a baller, man. He's a
1: baller. Uh, if I remember right, <clears throat> last time I stood next to Quandre. I was above eye level with Quandre, yeah. and I'm like 5'10". Yeah,
2: exactly. I'm yeah. telling you, man, Quandre, it's amazing
0: how physical he is in that game, so he'll be back. He'll yeah, be and – I- I mean, I've never been an NFL player, but whenever I broke my leg and broke my ankle, y'all remember that. Oh, yeah. It's the almost seems like the same description of what he had with a broken fibula and dislocated ankle. Ooh. And at least, like, you're able to rehab those things. It's a lot better than, say, structural things like you were saying. Like Exactly. If he had yes. tore
2: all the ligaments, yes. and it's like, damn, now you got to have surgery to attach all the ligaments yeah.
0: back together. And then, yeah, that's... Yeah, dislocated then ankle. We, we talk... saw Karis LeVert come back exactly. in, like, three months,
1: which is yeah. crazy.
0: Yeah, yeah. So. Same with Nurkic.
1: And by the oh, way... The, what I don't know what the opposite of a shout out is, but thumbs down to the Patriots reporter, Adrian Phillips gave a really tearful oh, you know yeah. shout out to Quandre. Was, yeah, was And fun. then some reporter in the room was like, Are you talking about Quandre Diggs? No, he's talking about Quandre Smith who got hurt in the Washington Giants game earlier today.
2: Did he say that to Adrian? Yes. Really? It's like What dude, other Quandre would he possibly be talking about? Read the room. Yes. Ask somebody next to you, dude. Ask one of your fellow journalists your
1: opinion. Wait until he's done like, Wait hey, until he's done. About done. Diggs? Yeah.
0: What the hell, man? Yeah, that would have been a really bad coincidence if that happened to be beat reporter Jeff Howell that asked that question, too. (laughs) And I I start getting mean tweets
1: like, Dumbass, you covered Texas. How did you not know it was Quandre Diggs? (laughs) It wasn't me. (laughs) Cover the Patriots.
2: Not that Jeff Howell. Different Jeff. Yes, different Jeff Howell. All right.
1: (laughs) Uh, this Jeff Howe is ready to sign off. Uh, All right, brother. I did not refer to myself in the third person. It's not what I was trying to do there. I was trying to make a segue. <laughs> I like oddly <laughs> the same spelling
0: of a name that covers It's just some really people. awkward,
1: and I think I think that means it's time for us to wrap this thing up. Matt, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for everything. You're <laughs> welcome. <man. laughs> Rod, we appreciate the time, man. The knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 10491019 AM 1260. Streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can hear Rod B each and every weekday on RBKD from 3 to 7. Shameless plug. You can also get myself and Craig Way each and every weekday on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, get all of our archives. Our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep,
0: just type in Longhorn Blitz.
1: Search Horns 24-7 anywhere you get your podcast. Click the follow button to get every episode of Longhorn Blitz, State of Recruiting, and the flagship. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode.